this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping out for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Love getting prices that are lower than low on food that's fresher than fresh? Then shop at Kroger. We give you more ways to save on the fresh you love with tools like the Kroger app, where you can find personalized coupons on top of weekly sales, giving you prices that are lower than the everyday low. Kroger, fresh for everyone. And now you'll find more ways to save on your favorites. When you download digital coupons, you can use up to five times in one transaction. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to uh, find out what's available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV at simultv.com. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Jan Harzen. He is the executive director of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. Jan was named executive director of MUFON on August the tw- uh, in August uh, 2013. He is a graduate of the UCLA School of Engineering and spent 37 years as an executive with IBM in sales and marketing before retiring to become the executive director of MUFON. Jan's interest in UFOs began at the early age uh, when he read an article on UFOs. Joining me now is Jan Harson. Jan, always great talking to you. How are things with you, and how are things with MUFON? Uh, things are going great, Rob. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, for our listeners who may not have heard you the last time you were on the show, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, and more than I discussed, especially when it comes to the interest in UFOs? Well, actually, uh, yeah, you mentioned it started at an early age. My brother yeah. and I were both uh, very fascinated by the whole subject. And actually decided to try to build one of these flying saucers, as they were called in the day. And uh, as we were going about trying to do that, we actually got visited by a real craft. So we had the opportunity to see close up uh, about 30 feet from us, a landing craft. I was 10, he was 9, and uh, it really shook our world to the core. And I've known ever since that this is a real phenomenon and that uh, it's deserving of some very special attention by our scientists, our engineers, and hopefully our government. Now... The craft that you saw, 
30 feet away from you. Could you describe the craft? It was a landing craft of some sort because it was like if you took a brick and you blew it up to 8 to 10 feet long by 4 feet wide by 3 feet tall and completely smoothed the edges and then put four landing gear on it. These were corrugated uh, hose coming out of the sides of the craft down uh, with black suction cups on the bottom. It was a very ornate craft. It was bright orange, yeah, uh, completely seamless. It was a blue corrugated, like almost like dryer hose coming out of the sides for the four landing gear. And then between each of the landing gear on each side, there were brown crossbars, like a scissoring function uh, with a bolt in the middle of it. So it, w- it was a very interesting craft, and it was making this humming noise, much like a transformer on a telephone pole late at night. Uh, but it, it definitely caught our attention. <laughs> now, did anyone else in the neighborhood see this craft? Well, no, because, it w- well, they could have, but I don't know... That not that I'm aware of, but it was yeah. at six thirty a.m. on a Saturday morning, so most people were in bed still asleep. Um, it, as it turned out, my brother had heard some commotion in the backyard, mm-hmm. and it come and gotten me up out of bed to go take a look. And when we went to look, we didn't actually see anything, but as we turned around to go back into the house, we saw this craft, literally, you know, thirty feet from us, hovering ten feet off the ground, making this humming noise, uh, and it was just frozen in the sky. So it was a quite amazing thing to see this technology. Uh, just hanging there, this big piece of hunk of metal just hovering in the sky with no visible means of propulsion. No engines, no no propellers, no nothing, just a piece of metal hanging in the sky. And from that point, you were hooked. You were convinced that UFOs are real. Well, I, for me, it, it, it got me inspired to mm-hmm. go uh, get a degree in nuclear engineering at UCLA and uh, try to go to work for a large corporation like an IBM, which has a six billion dollar research budget because i figured you know if we could figure out how this thing works Mm -hmm. uh we could revolutionize life on this planet i mean think about not having to ram air over a wing to fly you know 18 hours to the orient or something of that nature i mean what if you could move instantaneously about the planet that would really change life as we know it so i i I was inspired to go figure out how it worked Uh, and that's what drove me in, in my early and later years now for my brother it was quite the opposite effect for him he suffered from post-traumatic stress uh, from the event uh, for years afterwards and, and struggled with drugs and alcohol. Um, it, it did not do anything good for his life. So it's interesting because I do see um, experiencers mm-hmm. who have either very positive or very negative uh, experiences with this phenomenon. And for me, it was a positive. For my brother, it was not. So how did, uh, how did this transcend from you seeing the UFO with your brother becoming an engineer? working at IBM, to ending up as the executive director of MUFON. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Well, when I was uh, in my early 30s, I was a branch manager. I had about 150 people working for me. I had a $100 million budget, um, perhaps more. I can't remember exactly because it was so long ago. But yeah. um, I had a business coach, and as I was working with him, um, he asked me a question one day when I was talking with him. and He said, if you had all the money in the world, what would you be doing, Jan? And I thought for a moment, I said, well, I guess I'd be doing UFO research. And he said, really? He said, why is that? And I explained the story to him. And he said, hmm, okay. Didn't say anything else. I thought, oh, I don't know, that went over really well. <laughs> so I left. And next month when I went back to see him again, uh, at the end of our session, he handed me a piece of paper which had uh, UFO Expo West on it, uh, a flyer for a UFO conference. I didn't even know there were such things as UFO conferences. I just assumed nobody talked about this stuff because... Uh, I tried to bring it up once with a friend, and it re- went over poorly. So I just decided, well, I guess you can't talk to people about this th- this thing. So I went to the conference. I was shocked. There were a thousand people there. People talking about being on board the ships, you know, 
uh, engineers talking about the craft themselves. There was a hundred vendors there, and one of the vendor tables was the MUFON Los Angeles group. And I uh, went up, introduced myself, and I started attending their meetings. And then I slowly got involved. There was a gal down here in Orange County, California, who started a chapter here, and we uh, went to that and got involved with it and, and became a, a field investigator for the organization at that point. And then she had to step down, and she asked if I would take over the group. So I was on the board at that time for the MUFON Orange County group. And I just kind of worked, and then Walt one day sent out a notification saying we're uh, – going to do the MUFON Symposium on the West Coast, and we're looking for bids. So I said, well, gee, we should put in a bid. So we did. Our Orange County group put in a bid. We won the 2001 Symposium. That was back about 1999, I think. And uh, we put on a very nice show in 2001 for the MUFON folks. And uh, because of that, John Schusler, who had just taken over as the executive director, invited me to come on the business board. So I got involved at the business board level helped with the mission and goals, helped build the CMS system. And then after uh, retirement, my uh, the board asked if I would take over the uh, role of executive director. So here I am. I, it really wasn't a plan. It just kind of happened. So, uh, but, it, but I'm glad it did. Destiny at its best. Exactly. So what is MUFON's uh, mission statement, Jen? MUFON's mission statement is the scientific study of UFOs for the benefit of humanity. And it's written in two parts, the scientific study, which ultimately is observations being captured and the data being stored. And that's what we try to do with our CMS database. We capture between 500 to 1,000 reports a month from witnesses all over the world. And we collect that in a database mm-hmm. uh, for use by scientists around the world, uh, should they care to search out the data uh, to help them figure out what exactly is going on here. And then the second part of it, which is probably the more important part, is for the benefit of humanity. And there was a strong feeling on the part of all the board members that if we clearly understood this phenomenon and if we took advantage of it from a scientific standpoint, there would be huge breakthroughs for mankind in transportation, in energy, in communications, not only telepathy, you know, mind to mind communication, but also uh, communication at a distance. I mean, today, when we send a satellite out into deep space, excuse me. Um, it takes nine hours for that signal to go from Earth out to, say, Pluto uh, and back again. Uh, With what we know in uh, physics today, quantum physics, that you can have instantaneous communication anywhere uh, between uh, two particles. So uh, there's a lot of breakthroughs that could happen, and we think that would be beneficial to humanity if they were used peacefully. Uh, You know, we don't build weapons at them, but we actually put it to use for everyone's benefit. Uh, so that's that's the mission statement, you know, scientific study of UFOs for the benefit of humanity. Um, we have to take our commercial break in about a minute from now, Jan. What would you say is the number one advancement that MUFON has had in the last 15 years? Well, I think just understanding this phenomenon and also I think the breakthrough that came when the uh, the New York Times put a front page article back in December 16, 2017. Mm-hmm. I think we finally have broken the code that people now know that we're not alone. Uh, we've had our own government come out and tell us that uh, these UFOs are real. They're not us. They're not here. And um, they represent significant technology. So I think we're finally breaking the veil of secrecy that's been here for 70 years. And we're finally moving on. Not only that, but we're actually seeing real scientists want to use this data we've been collecting all these years to help 
uh, come through with some of these breakthroughs that we're talking about. All right, Jan, stand by. Jan Harzen is our guest, XO Nation, www.mufon.com. That's M-U-F-O-N.com. And we'll be back after this break. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Jan Harzen is my special guest of this hour. He is the executive director of the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON. Their website is www.mufon.com. Jan, how close do you think we are to disclosure? Well, I think disclosure has already happened. I think it happened on December 16, 2017, when the New York Times put a front-page article that the Pentagon had a secret UFO program, and then Subsequently, uh, Lou Elizondo, who stepped out of that program uh, to go public with mm-hmm. the fact that uh, and bringing three videos with him to take public. Um, I think that to me is disclosure. There are still a lot of people out there who are wanting to see conf- what I call confirmation. In other words, they OK, I hear these guys, but yeah. you know what? Everybody says there's a UFO. I, li- I want to see one. I want to I want to hear the president. I want to hear somebody, you know, uh, of, of uh, authority. high authority step yeah. into the plate and just say it's real. I think that will come, but it's not going to be the president of the United States, I don't believe. I think it's going to come through the drip method of NASA finding, you know, uh, microbial life on another planet or plant life on another planet, small animal life on another planet or or moon. Um, It's going to come through a progression of things happening. Um, Honestly, when it will really come is when we ourselves are interstellar as a society, which is actually coming faster than most people realize. Uh, and we're out circling some planet way out there and maybe in a, perhaps another galaxy. And we're looking down and there's indigenous life on that planet. And we go down and introduce ourselves or, or go down to talk to these people or whatever, whoever they are. Uh, we then become the aliens. And I think that's what people need to get wrap their heads around because we are not that far off from, from interstellar flight. But with all these people who are making claims and making reports to MUFON as well as the Center for UFO and Peter Davenport's organization and the different uh, investigative groups that are independent, how come if all these people are seeing UFOs, people are saying they're being abducted by extraterrestrials, cattle mutilation cases, how come there is no hardcore evidence to substantiate their claims. Well, that's, in fact, one of the things that a number of people are working very diligently on at this moment in time. Um, We actually have in our files uh, pieces of quote-unquote crashed saucers. These are, this is material given to us by witnesses to Mm -hmm. uh, at least two crashes in New Mexico. Uh, The problem is when you test this material, it doesn't turn out to be anything extraordinary. In other words, it's a aluminum alloy of right. some sort. Um, it's a mixture of things, but it's not anything so significantly different than what could be produced here on Earth. And 
it doesn't have the quote isotopic ratios that, that would probably point to it being from someplace far, far away. Um, but one thing it does for me is that maybe it's perhaps what it's telling us is that, that elements are the same anywhere in the universe. In other words, they're not unique someplace else. They're very much the same everywhere. Um, I know there's a, a piece of uh, bismuth uh, that's layered that was given somehow to the folks at uh, TTSA. And they're actually looking at that at this moment and trying to analyze it. Um, it may show a manufacturing process that is far beyond what is capable here on Earth today. Um, perhaps that'll be one of the things that they show in their their television show, Unidentified, here in this next season. I don't know. But, is it, but isn't this I'm the not, same material that surfaced 20-some-odd years ago and it was called Arts Parts? And, you know, it was, went under the microscopic examination and found out to be nothing. Well, that's the problem. Is all these things, as they get tested, don't right. turn out to be anything that's quote-unquote extraordinary, right? It's not so far different that, that you can actually say, oh, this had to be manufactured right. someplace off this planet. But the, I, I think someone somewhere will probably come up with a piece of or an object at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. We haven't been able to come up with it yet, even though we've been given what, what we've been told are extraordinary uh, materials. Sure. Uh, now it's TTSA, and they're off trying to do the same thing. So yeah. um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like that's one of the big conundrums of this whole field is that uh, how come there isn't more physical evidence? I mean, I heard Machio Cucu speak recently at the Third World UFO Congress in Barcelona, Spain. He was the keynote. I think I was the subnote. And uh, <laughs> that was a joke. But it, it, he basically... Uh, said, you know, hey, I'd love to have one of these people bring a piece back from one of the craft they're on. Unfortunately, yeah. most of the stories uh, or um, evidence we get is that these craft are seamlessly built and there's nothing really to grab onto or take off the craft itself. Um, I mean, well, Travis Walton, probably one of the most famous um, people in this field, you know, was on board a craft and he didn't really see anything well, he could grab and take away. So um, it, it is... It is a mind bender, and I have to tell you, you know, if I hadn't seen one of these craft for myself, mm -hmm. I, I might even be convinced they don't exist. But, uh, ha but how do we know the craft yeah. that you saw was was not from Earth, the military, military early military drone? How do you know? How do how do people take the the assumption right away just because they can't understand the technology, just because they don't recognize the craft that it has to be from another planet? Yeah, well, that's a good point, because when I first saw the craft that we mm -hmm. saw as kids, my first inclination was, this looks like it's man-made. Now, why did I say that, um, or think that? And that was because where the scissoring function was on the landing gear on those crossbars, there was a bolt, and it was a bolt. And I I was staring at this thing, thinking, wow, that looks like it's man-made, because I saw this bolt. Sure. But, but as I stared at the craft, it was completely seamless. And this is 1965. Mm -hmm. I don't think we had the ability to bend metal that seamlessly without rivets in it or some kind of seam in it. And it, it was like it was almost like blown glass, but it was it was metallic. I mean, I could have thrown a rock, it would have bounced off and made a, a, a ding sound. But mm -hmm. um, so that's the only reason why I think it's not magic. I'm, say, I'm not saying it's extraterrestrial right. necessarily, but but I don't believe it's from this planet, you know, so. Uh, is it from someplace in inner space, outer space? I have no idea. All I know is it was very strange, and it was hanging 10 feet off the ground in my backyard. That's all I can tell you. You know, uh, a lot of people, are, put, especially within the UFO community, are putting the, the video of footage that was taken uh, that's referred to as the, the Nemitz footage. Yes. And, and yet, there are members of the military who are coming out and say, it was one of our top secret experiments 
that we had going on in 2004. It was the United States Army that was testing it on the United States Navy to see what the reaction would be and if the craft could actually, you know, do what it was supposed to do. Now you've got members within the UFO community and you've got the people with the Longs gang and this, uh, the, you know, the person who left the, the government took the video t with him and is saying it's a UFO. Who do, who do people believe? Do they believe the military or do they believe the people who have left government service, taken video footage with them and are now claiming on a TV show that they're making money on that this is legitimate UFO footage. Yeah. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. This is Sarah's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. Driving cross-country with two young children is ambitious, to say the least. Then our check engine light came on. We pulled into O'Reilly Auto Parts and they tested it. Turned out it was a faulty sensor. They referred us to a great mechanic just down the street and we were back on the road in no time. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, there is a nice piece of stock music playing behind me that a talented composer worked really hard on. So let's enjoy it. Wow, almost overshadows the saving big when you switch to Progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Well, well, first off, you, you don't make any money on these TV shows. I can just tell you that they're they're pretty much um, just information services, and even that they're they're more entertainment services than anything else. But that said, I, I think uh, you have to look at the possibility that this could be a top secret drone mm -hmm. uh, of, of some somewhere from our own military. Right. The, the 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 challenge is is that all this would have been done with black budget money. Uh huh. And both Chris Mellon. Who, former Deputy Secretary of Defense, and Lou Elizondo, who was in charge of the ATIP program for mm -hmm. 10 years, uh, had access to the admin function, in other words, the super users of the black budget um, financial system. They could see what the projects were. They had to to do their jobs. Chris, at one time, was, uh, uh, was a staffer for a U.S. senator on the uh, Senate Intelligence Select Committee that actually oversaw the black budget. And neither of them could find this as part of that um, budgeting process. But, so, but does unless, that, I'm sorry, go ahead. go ahead. Well, I, I would say unless someone is 
going outside of the funding mechanism to build mm-hmm. things, which is always a possibility. Sure it is. Uh, that then um, that would that would raise a different issue, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, you know, but isn't it up to the government to protect its citizens? And, oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. And is it is it a possibility that by these people sticking their nose into areas and bringing forth a hypothesis that this is an extraterrestrial vehicle, that if it is discovered to be an experimental aircraft or craft of some sort, that these people are actually endangering the national security of the United States. Well, I assume if they were, they would be, they would be called out on it uh, privately, and they would be told to, to cease and desist. But in fact, what's happening is that Congress and uh, other branches of our government are actually bringing them in to, to brief them on this whole subject. So uh, one way or another, we'll get to the bottom of what it is or what it isn't. Now, I will say this. Uh, nobody at uh, TTSA or uh, that I've heard has said that this is of an, an extraterrestrial origin. Uh, they're being very tight-lipped about that. In fact, Lou Elizondo, when he mm-hmm. spoke at our 2018 symposium in Cherry Hill, uh, besides complimenting everybody in the audience about the fact, hey, you've been putting up with this for 50 years and people laughing at you making fun of you, and all along you were right, uh, but uh, he basically said their whole purpose in the ATIP program, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, was to determine what these objects were and how they worked. It wasn't to determine who's flying them or what intelligence is behind them or right. how they're being controlled. It was strictly what are they, how do they work. So that's been pretty much all that's been told to us at this point. Um, we can go through how they work. And that's somehow put off and some of the folks and the physicists have been working on for years. Um, but I, I think um, I, I think if there was any issue of them causing a national security issue, I would assume, based on their positions in government previously, that they would be um, either read in on a phone. All right, stand by, Jan. Jan Harzen is our guest, Exonation, www.mufon.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Check out the XZBN website at www.xzbn.net. Don't go away. Jan Harzen is our special guest this hour, Exxon Nation. He is the executive director at MUFON. That's the Mutual UFO Network, and their website is www.mufon.com. Uh, just, I just want to touch a little bit back on the uh, on the entire thing with t- you know with the with the video footage and you know the the Navy coming out and saying that they've actually got a patent on the uh, on a hyperspace vehicle, and mm-hmm. and all this information that is coming out now. Let's take a look at, at the, you know, how people are using ufology to their advantage. For example, you know, the storming of Area 51 turning out to be a rock concert. 
Like, how, how does that make you feel as the executive director of an organization that is doing their very best to put credibility into a field where credibility is seriously lacking? And you have these people pulling off these kind of stunts. Well, you know, and that, that all started as a joke on Facebook, right? But uh, and it kind of devolved into a, into a rock concert. It was not a good idea from the, from the get-go. Uh, obviously, storming a national security site is probably the last thing anyone should yeah. try to do, <laughs> unless you want to end up dead or in jail. So um, I never thought that was a very smart idea myself. But they, people did do it. I would say this, though. I think it sent a message to our... Um, members of Congress and our, our, our leadership in this world that people are ready to know the truth. They want to know what's going on. They want to know what, you know, they don't want to be lied to anymore. They want to be told the truth. Now, the biggest challenge we have in this whole thing is that there's some national security implications for it, which is why it's been kept secret for 70 years. Uh, when I spoke with Hal Putoff shortly after the announcement in uh, October of 2017 of the new group TTSA, which he was then a part of, um, I asked him the question. I said, how? You know, how is it they're doing this? And he said, well, we've discovered the error in the equations, going back to a comment that uh, Ben Rich, as the former CEO of uh, Lockheed Skunk Works, had, had told me um, at a UCLA gathering many years before, 1993. Um, and we now know how they're doing it. They're ripping small holes in space-time. So they're coming through these holes in space-time into our reality, if you will. Um, so they aren't necessarily from out there in our physical universe. They could be from anywhere in space and time. Um, but that's the dirty little secret. I mean, if you look at uh, our universe uh, or what we know about our universe, it's made up of space, time, energy, and matter. Right. We know how to go between energy and matter. That's called the atomic bomb, right? We Well, we go from matter to energy, actually. I don't know if we know how to go from energy back into matter yet. Um but there's this other side of it, which is space and time. And that, too, has its set of equations of how you can go and manipulate space and time. And if you have the capability to do that, you can literally show up out of nowhere. Uh, it would look very magical to us to have people like walking out of a wall or going through a portal, if you will, um, and coming into our reality. So uh, I'd have to just tell a little story here. I was sure. uh, had. James Woodward, who's a professor at Cal State Fullerton, he's retired now, emeritus. And he has an experimental lab up there. And he's one of the guys working with these 50 or so, I call them faster than light physicists all over the world, including Jack Sarfati and Hal Putoff and others, uh, to trying to get us to become an interstellar uh, society. And uh, I was in his lab. He was showing me some experiments. He was using this called Mach effect, which is a byproduct of Einstein's general theory of relativity. And as he was doing this experiment for me, he stopped and he said, you know, Jan, somewhere 100 years from now, then he paused and he said, no, maybe 20 to 30 years from now, you'll be able to have like a wristwatch on your wrist that you can set a date, a, a place and a time, press a button and your own personal wormhole will open up and you'll be able to step through to that place in time. And I paused for a second. And I said, well, Jim, if that is true, you've just solved the UFO mystery because that's kind of what these things do. They show up out of nowhere, and they disappear out of nowhere. And we don't know how they're doing it. But uh, Hal felt very strongly that they're doing it by manipulating space-time, and uh, it's called space-time engineering. And that's kind of, I think, one of the purposes. I, I don't want to be a spokesperson because I'm not. Uh, but I think that's one of the things they're trying to do with this whole TTSA thing is try to figure out how to engineer this stuff and bring it into being. 
Why do you think the Army got involved with them? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, they, they're working with all the different, uh, you know, Lou originally was with the Army. He was in Special Forces. So mm -hmm. I imagine they're reaching out to all the branches of the military, trying to get them to, uh, you know, this is interesting because back when I was a kid and we were trying to build this craft, my mom took us to the store and she was shopping and we were just little kids, looked at a magazine rack. We found this little half-sized magazine called Flying Saucer Review and we bought it for a buck. We took it home. And we're reading on on my brother's bed, and, and, and it said, these flying saucers, that's what they're called today, these flying saucers are seen around military installations, nuclear power plants, and places where anti-gravity research is being done. Well, we said to each other, well, while we're, we're doing anti-gravity research, why doesn't one come here to us? But, but the first one is the military installations. We are getting reports all over the place from military personnel about seeing these craft around bases, um, off war down here in Camp Pendleton in Southern California. Every time there's a war exercise, we generally get at least one report of something being seen in the skies by one of the soldiers. So for whatever reason, these craft have a keen interest in our, our uh, military and our uh, particularly nuclear-type things, and uh, they tend to be around those types of things. So I think getting buddy-buddy with the military would be a great mm -hmm. thing to do. Unfortunately, we don't particularly have any contacts to move on other than the members who are former military people or current military people. Uh, but the folks at TTSA with through uh, Lou and through uh, Chris Mellon uh, have their contacts for going back uh, years ago. Why, what, you know, like you were saying, the soldier who saw something and, you know, thought it was a UFO. What right. are the possibilities that if this was just a military drone? Well, it's always a possibility. Yeah. I mean, the one I'm thinking of specifically in my brain was a guy who called us and said there was a big orange light just over the field, just hovering, uh -huh. uh, watching them as they were doing these night exercises. And I asked him, I said, do, do you think it was one of your own drones? Like maybe it was somebody watching the exercise to kind of, he said, no, it wasn't one of ours. I mean, I, I know ours. We, we, we do have drones and stuff, but this was not one of ours. So I, who knows? I mean, it's always one of the, you know, if you don't want to believe, you just want to believe. But I mean, it, there's something going on here. We have to crawl and get underneath. But why, uh, I think it's only I think it's only going to happen if we make it safe for well, our engineers and scientists, you know, and other folks to study this without fear of being you know, ridiculed, uh, you know, uh, marginalized and uh, basically losing their jobs. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people we have reporting things to us who are former airline pilots, right? You know, former government officials, uh -huh. and they all say the same thing. You know, I don't want my name out there because I don't want to. I don't want anyone making fun of me, but I don't. I, I, I'm coming to you now because I'm retired and they can't do anything to me. Uh, but they wouldn't report it back when it happened. So that's an unfortunate thing. And I think it just comes about, it's who we are as human beings. It's how we operate. Mm. Everyone wants to be thought of well. And so we have this group think mentality where, you know, you've got to fall within the boundaries or you're, you're thought of a kook or a nut. Uh, but, you know, this stuff is, is spacey. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go there with you. But it, it, if we pay attention to it, there are huge breakthroughs for mankind that will happen, I can assure you. If this study is so significant and so important, how yep. come mainstream science isn't picking it up? How come this isn't being worked on around the world? And, the, and why isn't the public being kept abreast of what these fascinating discoveries are? Well, actually it is. I mean, so, I mean, these Where? 50 or so scientists who are working on faster and light travel, uh, they have a conference every year or so uh -huh. up in Estes Park, Colorado. I had the opportunity to go up and present to them um, uh, what we have from our files. I mean, it, I was I was not the main attraction. They were right. basically there to present to each other on their different 
techniques for how to get faster in light. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, they're, they're working on it. The problem is they're not funded. And that's the challenge is they're doing it in their spare time or they're doing it as part of a nonprofit. Uh, there's not a lot of people other than maybe some angels here and there who might spread a little money to them. Um, we need to really fund this big time. And I think that's one of the things that uh, the Chris and the guys uh, are trying to do with Congress right now is get them to take this seriously, get them to put some money behind it and get them to uh, fund some of this research that needs to happen so badly. But don't um, you don't you think there's more things in life that good money could be spent on, like the homeless, the unemployed, the hungry? Well, I think we're spending quite a bit on the homeless and the unemployed. I mean, you could always spend more. I, yeah. I think, uh, particularly in the homeless thing, you know, there are a lot of church groups and a lot of uh, nonprofit groups that have started up. That's uh, been, that's been, you know, like instead instead of taking this money from the government and giving it to to organizations that investigate UFOs, why not it, give it to the organizations? that help humans on this planet. Well, but I think this will help humans. I think it's much like the space program back in the 60s. Yeah. There were a lot of spin-offs from that program that have gone to benefit all of us on this planet. So I think there'll be many, many more of those types of things happening when we do this. Now, you're not really giving it to the UFO groups. I mean, they're giving it to scientists who are studying these different issues. What, what we can provide to them is data on uh, these sightings and different things that will help them try to determine. Here's an example. We had an observation of a craft where the individual was able to capture the um, resonant frequency of the craft itself. And as we mapped that out, it came out that it was using uh, technology that could be discerned and actually back-engineered to some extent. So these are the types of things that if we really look at the data, uh, which is what MUFON does, we have a database for that, uh, I think that there are going to be some very, very big, big breakthroughs, hopefully in technology from the standpoint of transportation, I definitely think from communication, energy, um, you know, we're, we're suffering right now from a warming uh, planet. What if we had energy that didn't require fossil fuels or some of these other uh, carbon dioxide emissions to, uh, to create electricity for us? That would be a huge breakthrough for all of mankind. All right, stand by, Jen. We've got to take our final break. Explanation. Jen Harzen is our special guest this hour. He is the executive director of the Mutual UFO Network, www.mufon.com. Check us out on XZBN.net and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Explanation, Jan Harzen is our special guest. He is the executive director of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. His website is MUFON.com. Jan, you've got the 2020 Symposium coming up in Las Vegas on July 17 and 19 of next year. The theme, I believe, is UAPs, Military Witnesses Speak Out. Tell us about that. Well, so one of the things I've been uh, doing as I speak out to different groups is I'm noticing there's this gap between those of us in the UFO field who are the believers, if you will, or the knowers, uh, and, and the general public, which is still looking for some kind of uh, 
confirmation that this is a real phenomenon. And I thought to myself, what better confirmation than having people from the military come and talk about their own interactions with this phenomenon based on the comments I made earlier in the, previously in the show about uh, these things being seen around military installations and, and stuff like that. So um, I thought, why don't we bring in a bunch of military witnesses mm -hmm. to talk about different things, and then we can invite the military to come and share their stories and then make a place where they can uh, actually uh, make a difference in terms of that. And then the public can come and be part of that and hear these uh, American war heroes talk about this phenomena and have a conversation about it. It's really about creating a conversation so that people can wrap their heads around what exactly is going on. So that is our plan. That is our hope. And that's uh, what we will do in 2020, 2020 rather. Right. Um, it's going to be at the JW Marriott in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, and it will be July, as you said, 17, 18 and 19. So look for that on our website. Um, and we will be sending out more information on that very soon. You know, the Navy's, the Navy's recent announcement that the objects in the Tic Tac videos are not ours. And yet, other branches of the military have not come out and said that. How come? Well, I think the Navy's way out ahead of everybody else. I, I'm not sure why that is, but I'm glad to see it. Um, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, you know, it's one of those things. It's like there's no... Uh, <laughs> There's no glory in stepping up to the plate and saying we've got strange things flying around us and we don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. uh, it just puts you in a bad spot because uh, your spirits want you to know, uh, particularly if you're in the military, your job is to protect everybody, right? So you've got to know right. what it is, how it works, why it's there, uh, and what your countermeasures are to uh, to uh, defend, if need be, that, that thing. So, um, I, you know, there was a number of people who were upset last year as the uh, last episode of United Unidentified played because it, it ended with the threat question, you know, are these a threat to us? And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a little bit of television hyperbole to get people to watch a second season, sure it is, which yeah. they should anyway. Uh, but if you think about it, the military's job is to look at everything as a threat. That's that's what we pay them to do uh, and to protect us. So I don't think it's any different than the Russians or the Chinese. Uh, they look at those as a threat. Yet in my own neighborhood, I've got people moving in, buying homes, cash from China, mainland China. Um, they're my neighbors now. They're my friends. Um, it's no different here in this field, I think, in terms of uh, if we are, in fact, being visited by extraterrestrial races or uh, superior beings of some sort. Um, I don't I don't see it any being any different, uh, honestly. It's just the military's job to protect us. So that's what they do. So do you think that uh, these visitors, wherever they're coming from, pose a threat to uh, humanity? I don't personally believe so. But I, I'm sure there are people who have all sorts of opinions on that. Mm -hmm. and, and I would just... I'm very simplistic in this thing. It's like, look, if they've been here for millennia and we're still here, why would they wait until we had the capability to fight them to uh, allow us to exist? I mean, if you want to take over a planet, you can just wipe all the life out on the planet and just take it over. I, so I don't think that's their purpose at all. And in fact, there's too much data being collected to show quite the opposite. They're very concerned about how we're treating this planet and how we're destroying our own planet. So um, no, I don't think that I don't think they pose a personal threat to us. But I do believe that it's the military's job to look at everything as a threat and to figure out countermeasures to it. So uh, God bless them. That's their job. OK, um, so what do you think their prime objective is? Why are they visiting us? And, and if it is because of what we're doing to our planet, why wouldn't they just land make a mass landing so that there would be no doubt in anyone's mind that they are here and that their existence is real. Why the cloak and dagger? 
Well, that's a $24 million question. Like, why are they um, doing that? And then, of course, mm -hmm. one of the answers is possibly the prime directive, you know, right out of Star oh, Trek, yeah. that they're not supposed to meddle in other civilizations' uh, affairs. But um, I think, you know, if you look at the messages that some of our experiencers are telling us, they're hearing from these beings, it runs along the lines of you're destroying your planet. Um, if you keep up with the direction you're going, pretty soon it's going to be uninhabitable. And you're going to cause the complete and utter destruction of humanity as you know it. So I think they're trying to nudge us in the direction of, you know, be better stewards, uh, take better care of your planet. Don't do these dumb things you're doing. Um, that's one message we're getting, right? There's another one which is uh, more on a spiritual level. And that is, um, I think that our technology, I don't think, I know, our technology has far outstripped our spiritual advancement or our, our advancement in technology as far as stripped our spiritual advancement. And I think there's this connectedness with the universe all being one. Um, and, you know, this gets into the esoteric and I realize for some people it's, it's, they think it's a bunch of hogwash, but um, I, I really think they're trying to get us to think broader and to think uh, collectively as a group and, and watching out for each other as opposed to what, typically happens is that everyone, every, every man, woman, and child out for themselves, which is, happens too, too often in our society. So um, those, those are kind of the two big messages that I see, honestly. How is someone supposed to know a true UFO, um, true UFO, yeah. uh, let me see, uh, investigator, yeah, from a, investigator, from the wingnuts that are out there that hit all the late night talk shows, including this one, who are saying that, you know, the, uh, the aliens are eating the African-Americans because their meat is more tender, or that beneath the Getty Hotel is where there is a, an underground base where the aliens have the permission from the government to be, and that the missing people are being turned into alien-sucking slurry. Mm -hmm. So, so where, where do you draw the line between, are they all well, wingnuts, or is there reality in this? Well, there's definitely reality. And, you know, um, I just thought one of the greatest things that was brought forth out of this ATIP program was the five observables, you know. And as we look through our database, you know, we, we get, like I said, a 500 to 1,000 reports a month. And after we investigate them, about 30% remain unknown. But we know from looking at those 30 cases, the 30% of those, those cases, that, that if we really had more data on those, we could probably pare that down quite a bit too. In fact, when we go the reverse order and we look for certain key items, uh, it's about 5% of what gets reported to us, which appears to be something that's from someplace else, not from this planet. Uh, and those five observables are instantaneous acceleration. We just don't have the capability to go from a standing start to shooting off over the horizon in a bullet's creek. But uh, that, that's based on what we know. But right. that's not saying it's impossible. Well, it's not. Well, it's just saying that we don't have any craft that we know of today that could do that. That, that we that have you, manufactured ourselves. That right? you and I know of. But maybe yeah. there is a branch of the government that does have this craft, that does have this capability. And just because uh, Senator Reid and his bunch of cronies don't know about it, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Well, this is another possibility. But again, I go back to if you have access to the black budget, which is what would be building this kind of stuff and it's not in there, then either somebody is going outside of the government's processes to build the stuff, mm -hmm. or it's really not ours, right? And so the other observables, though, are, are you know, invisibility, 
uh, transmedium travel, space, air, water. I mean, how can something travel hundreds of miles an hour underwater? We just don't know how to do that yet that I'm aware of. But what, uh, what is the, you know, when it comes to the witness, the testimony of the witness, the evidence of the witness, how is this measured? How is what measured? The, uh, the credibility, the, the, the information that they're giving. How well, are they gauging it? You know? Well, you first, you first off, you have, you have to say if they identified themselves. I mean, that's a big, big one. That's one of the things we know when hoaxes are out there. Is mm-hmm. Somebody does not want to identify themselves. Or they, they identify themselves um, to, a, to a, not, you know, a phone number that doesn't work or to an email that bounces. <laughs> right. um, that, that points out hoaxes. Fortunately, we only get about 3 to 5% hoaxes. Uh, but when you get the real thing, and you can get their, like if they're a military person, get their DD-214 that uh, shows where they actually served, mm-hmm. that they were physically in that spot at that time on that base when they said this happened. Um, there's some credibility there. Also, multiple witnesses. We love multiple witness cases, sure. right? Because now it's not just one person. It's multiple people. And if they don't know each other, that's even better. So, um, no, witnesses are, are pretty, pretty strong. And then, of course, I always prefer if someone doesn't want to be known. I mean, because that tells me they're probably telling you the truth as opposed to, Hey, I had this society I want to tell you about, and boy, I'd love to go on your TV show. I mean, it's like, okay, well, <laughs> you're a little suspect to me mm-hmm. if you want to go on a TV show. But um, no, I mean, they're very, very credible people. I mean, you look at their their um, pedigree. You know, these people have been worked in government for years or have been part of the military or, or worked in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I just don't see what would be in it for them. I, there's nobody who got famous telling a UFO story. Uh, uh, Travis Walton, get- Betty Barney Hill, just to name a couple. Well, but, but I mean, you don't, you don't make any... Stanton like, Friedman, he made a lot of money on books, and, you know, so the list goes on and on and on. This is how I look at it from the outside. Sure. Go ahead, Rob. You know, and that's how I, I look at it, and that's how a number of people I talk to, how they look at it, and members of the military that I talk to, they look at it the same way. So, Jan, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and Exo Nation, if you'd like to get more information about MUFON, if you would like to uh, visit their website www.mufon.com. I guess it comes all down to the point of whether you're a skeptic, in my case, which is a realist, because I'd like to see evidence. I'd like to see proof. You know, I'm not one to take the word of somebody who, in my opinion, may have an ulterior motive for creating a story, whether he's military, law enforcement, or politicians. And it is quite possible that there is a budget outside of these black budgets that could be accessed. And that is something the UFO community right now does not want to accept. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. 